Uh, and I get to be the preacher today, so buckle in. Um, if you are a guest, we're so... This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. O our Heavenly Father, we do not turn aside from your statutes, for you have taught us. How sweet are your words to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouths. Through your precepts we gain understanding, and therefore we hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. And so come, Holy Spirit, fulfill these words of the psalmist in our hearing, and speak to your church what you have for us this morning. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I was doing my THM in my very first class, actually, we had a visiting professor from another institution, a very prominent, well-known uh, professor, uh, you know, had been a professor for like 30 years and trained, you know, upteen number of seminarians. And one day after the, the lecture for the day was over, sort of just opened the, the floor to any question at all that people wanted to ask. And so people were asking him ministry questions and various different things. And then someone asked him, well, what are you reading right now? And he, he named a couple of things. And then he named this um, Lewis Burkhoff's systematic theology, which is sort of a, just a basic general systematic theology that you might read like maybe first year of seminary or even in Bible college. It's just sort of like basic thing. And, it's, and, and everyone in the room was like, why is this guy who has a PhD in New Testament, has been a professor for 30 years and a pastor for this long, reading such a basic book. And someone actually asked him, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. Why are you reading that? And he said, because I need to be reminded. Because <laughs> I forget things that I, that I used to know. I forget them, and I need to be reminded. And so I, I constantly go back to the basics and remind myself of the, the basic tenets, the basic elements of the Christian faith. And I thought, well, on one hand, I thought, wow, that's very, such humility you know, he's not like pretending, oh, I'm reading the latest Oxford University Press, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm reading this basic thing, and, he's, and there's, no, there's no guile or shame in it. But then I also, it struck me, like, how often also I need to be reminded of what God has done in the life that he's called me to, 
And, and that's really what Peter, that's what this letter is all about. There are false teachers that have come into these churches and beginning to teach false doctrine. And, and Peter wants to just take them back to basics and remind them of the great things God has done for them and the way God has called them to live. And then specifically some specific, um, like that Jesus is coming again, these sorts of things. And so we need to be reminded, these Christians need to be reminded, everyone, every Christian needs to be reminded from time to time of God's promises and of God's calling in our lives. You can see that in, you know, in verse 12 if you're looking at the Pew Bible. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, and then again he says in verse 13, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to remind you, to stir you up by way of reminder. And then in verse 15 he says, uh, after my, I'm doing this so that after my departure, after my death, you might be able to recall, to call to mind these things. So Peter wants to remind this church, and, and it makes me think, well, why do we need reminding? Well, why, how come it's not just, oh yeah, I, I read that book of the Bible, or I, oh, I heard that sermon, or I heard that doctrine, and now I've mastered it. Why do we need to be reminded? Well, one, because there's just something about our flesh that makes us forgetful. Um, and and I'm, not even, I'm not even speaking about like our brains and our, and our physiology. I'm just, there's just something spiritually we're forgetful. You think of the, the children of Israel, how often they forgot God's ways, how often they forgot what God had done for them, the mighty acts of God in their history, and even, even in their own lifetime. Uh, I was thinking of, um, for instance, in the book of Deuteronomy. So the book of Deuteronomy is the second generation that's come out of the land of Egypt. So you have a whole generation of people who have grown up sort of in between the exodus and the conquest of Canaan. The only world they've ever known is the one in which they wander the wilderness because God brought them out of Egypt. And yet 10 times in the book of Deuteronomy, God says something like this to them. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You would think of any, any people that ever lived, it would be that generation that least needed a reminder. And yet 10 times God through Moses reminds them that he is the one, the Lord is the one who brought them out of slavery in Egypt and and to be his people. And he did it with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. You might also think in the New Testament, Paul, he went about the Mediterranean world preaching the gospel and planting churches. And most of his letters are letters of reminder. They're mostly reminding people things they should have already known, or he thought they already knew, or they've known and they've forgotten, right? And think of the book of Galatians. Paul went preaching the doctrine of justification by faith and that that all are welcomed into God's family by faith in Christ and what Christ has done, and it's not about law-keeping or ethnicity or anything like that, but it's purely on the basis of faith. And yet he writes in Galatians chapter 1, I'm astonished, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. This church that knew Paul face-to-face forgot the fundamental gospel message. So we need to be reminded there's something about us or just the, the failing of our flesh and the impact of sin in us that we constantly fall into forgetfulness. And so Peter wants to remind this church of what God has done and what he's called them to. But we also need to be reminded because there are false teachers in the churches and there are, um, there are pressures from the world that push against the things that the Bible teach and try to convince us that we should reject what the Bible says 
and take on a worldly view of things. For instance, the world um, at some level wants to reject the idea that there is a creator who made things in order and that things are what they are because he wants them to be what they are. Instead, we as human beings, we try to, we try to be our own gods and manipulate the created order and even manipulate our own bodies and say that, no, that these things are all interchangeable. They're whatever we make of them rather than accessing the reality that's revealed in the Bible and in the natural revelation that God is the creator and that he made the world in order. We reject God's lordship and instead try to create heaven on earth through political power. We, uh, there are false teachers in the church and in the world who deny there's no judgment. Jesus isn't coming back. I mean, yeah, I mean, like it teaches some mythological uh, statement about the power of Jesus's teaching and the ethic of love and how all human beings will always fall short of that. That's really all that the Bible is teaching. No, <laughs> The Bible is teaching that Jesus is really coming back. There is a, a return and there is a judgment. We think in the modern world, we think the Bible is outdated. We need to accommodate the Bible to, you know, we're so enlightened now. Um, and when we say we, we mostly mean modern white Western people, not the global black and brown people. We think we're enlightened because we know better than the Bible. So we need to be reminded uh, that God is the creator, that he is the Lord, that Jesus is coming again, and that scriptures are the authority. L Martin Luther, he put it so simply and beautiful. He said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. We need to be reminded. So what do we need to be reminded of? P Peter has several things in mind. Uh, notice in verse 12, it says, uh, I, I want to remind you of these qualities. And then in verse 15, I want to remind you, of, or so that you might recall these things. Really, in the Greek, those are the same thing. Um, what are these things that Peter wants to remind the church of? There's basically two things. What God has done in the gospel and the promises associated with that and then the life that he has called these Christians to live and us to live. He wants, Peter to, wants to remind them of what he called in verse three, the precious and very great promises of God. That by God's power, we have been um, rescued from the corruption of sin, and that we've been brought into fellowship with God, partakers of the very nature of God, united to Christ through faith, and that this, is, this faith did not come from us. For, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it did not come from us, but by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has done something for us that we could never have done for ourselves through Christ, and that it's only by faith in him that we are reconciled and rescued and united and adopted into his family. So, Remember, Peter says, all the precious and very great promises of God. But then also remember what you're supposed to do with that faith. So he says in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 1, uh, supplement your faith with virtue. Excellent character, something like that. Supplement faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And if you don't do those things, verse 9, it's because you've forgotten. And so you need to be reminded. And, and the intersection, the, and the, the, in, the inflection point for this church is, is that doctrine of the return of Christ. In verse 16, Paul talks about, or Peter talks about, the power and coming of the Lord. This is what the false teachers have come in denying. And he wants to remind these Christians, there is a day coming. Part of the precious and very great promises of God is that Jesus is going to come again judge the living and the dead, and make all things new. 
and that God will wipe away every tear from every eye and that the tree of life will be for the healing of the nations. And there will be no lamp there, nor no sun, because the Lord and the Lamb will be the sun. There are precious and very great promises, but when you forget them, you begin to live in a way that's contrary to to God's call, contrary to the character of Christ, contrary to excellent character and Christian virtue. We're watching, my wife and I, we just finished this silly show, I don't know, it it was on TV like 15 years ago, called Chuck. It's about a guy who works at like a Best Buy and becomes a spy. And um, one, uh, later, in, later in the series, one of his friends um, basically gets like the CIA, CIA database like downloaded into his brain. And so, he, so his sort of um, loser sidekick friend becomes like a super spy who like knows all the stuff and knows Kung Fu and is, he's like, he becomes, he becomes sort of a James Bond type figure. But at the same time, he begins to forget his memories, like he begins to forget this relationship that he had with his friend Chuck, and he begins to forget his relationship with his girlfriend. He begins to forget the things that he loved growing up, like Star Wars and that sort of stuff. And, and, and this forgetfulness causes him to act in a way that's completely contrary to his normal character. And I, there's an analogy there for us that sometimes the, we put the gospel on the shelf and we sort of forget its implications or forget the precious and very great promises And then we just begin to act in a way that's not in accordance with who we are and to whom we belong and what God has done. So how do you remind yourself? What do you do? Like what mechanism, what rhythm, what system, what approach do you have to to remind yourself? I mean, being here on the Lord's Day and hearing the gospel preached is a very, very good one. But what else? How do you remind yourself of God's precious and very great promises and this calling to supplement faith with virtue and ultimately virtue with love. So Peter says, don't forget what God has done, and don't forget what he's called you, who he's called you to be. But he also wants to remind them that the reason, that they have good reason to believe in what God has done, that they have good evidence to believe in the truth of the Christian message, and therefore the truth of the calling which God has for them. He reminds them that the, the Christian gospel And even the message that Christ is coming again to judge and make all things new, even that is founded on eyewitness testimony. Look at verse 15. He says, uh, we do not teach myths, or maybe some translations, we do not teach fables. These are not just um, things that didn't really happen, but have some sort of spiritual or philosophical or principial truth enclosed in them. But these, Peter is saying, these are the real events we were there. He says in verse 16, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. And in verse 18, I heard it and I was with him on the mountain. I'm an eyewitness. And so believe what I'm saying to you, that Jesus is coming again. Now, when I was first thinking about this, I was like, how, how is the witness of the transfiguration evidence that Jesus is coming again? But I think it's, it works something like this. First of all, in all of the gospels, the transfiguration comes immediately after Jesus promises to come in his Father's glory. He says, I'm going to come in, in the glory of my Father and the heavenly angels, in all three of the synoptic gospels. So in Jesus' mind, what he's about to do is connected with what he has just taught. There's also the sense in which um, Jewish people in Jesus' day primarily believed that at the end of history, the righteous would be raised from the dead. Like God would judge everything and, that, and they would be vindicated as God's people and they'd be raised from the dead. 
But now this Jesus has not been raised at the end of history, but right in the middle of history. And so there's a sense in which the end has been folded back onto history and it's happening now. So that the end is actually unfolding right now in our midst from the day of Jesus' resurrection until the day he comes again. And then finally, the glory of Jesus. We think about like in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter one, you have, remember that weird vision of Jesus. I saw one like the son of man who's, uh, who had, you know, flame, eyes were like flames of fire and he has hair is white and he's wearing a white robe and he has a sword coming out of his mouth and it's this glorious um, uh, like giant Voltron Jesus who's um, the almighty, right? His glory is being revealed. What Peter's saying is like on that day on the mountain, I didn't see that, the end times Jesus, but I saw a little glimpse of it. I saw his glory. I saw what he called his majesty. And I heard the Lord um, give Jesus honor and, and praise from his majestic glory. And so the transfiguration is like a, like a preview, like a, like a, um, like a leak, uh, like a leak of the future that's happened and now we know what's going to happen. And that's, that's the, actually the analogy in my mind that I had. Is, I if you remember back in 2010 when the iPhone 4 uh, was, it hadn't come out yet, but the, the first three iPhones were real like rounded and then the iPhone 4 was going to be the one with the flat aluminum sides and like, you know, looked super futuristic and all that stuff. And in April, so almost six months before the phone was actually supposed to come out, somebody who worked at Apple took one of the phones out of the Apple campus and then lost it in a bar. And so... They got into the hands of tech people, tech bloggers on the internet, and, and they sort of, they, they could see what was going to happen six months from now. And obviously they got sued by Apple, but uh, they had a, it's like the, the info had leaked. The product had leaked out into the world, and there was no surprise anymore. We had seen, yeah, we, we haven't seen everybody buy an iPhone, but we know what the iPhone 4 is going to look like now. We know all the specs. We know all these sorts of things. And, and that's sort of what the transfiguration is. It's, it's like a product leak of the future. Like Jesus, we know he's coming again in his glory because we've already seen his glory. That's what Peter's saying. I am an eyewitness. So you, uh, you, you have eyewitness testimony that Jesus is coming again. And you also have eyewitness testimony that Jesus is the very son of God. First of all, just notice in chapter 1, verse 1, it, Peter calls Jesus his God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But also remember that, that on the Mount of Transfiguration, there are a lot of echoes to when Moses and the elders went up onto the mountain to meet with the Lord and to receive the covenant. But what's interesting is as you read the gospel writers and how they tell this story, it's not that Jesus is going with Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain to meet with God. It's that Jesus goes up onto the mountain with Peter, James, and John to reveal that he is God, that he is the Lord. The Lord they go to meet with turns out to be Jesus himself. In uh, verse 16, Peter describes it as the majesty. In secular Greek, that word is, it was like um, when people from the ancient world would travel to Egypt and they would see the pyramids, majesty was the word, because it was, it was so otherworldly, right? Maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon or um, the Swiss Alps or somewhere like that where words fail, right? Peter's saying, that's what it was like on that day. I saw the majesty of Jesus and he received honor and glory. Think about that. That the Father in heaven gave someone else honor and glory. How highly must God himself value his own son 
that from his majestic glory, he pours out honor and glory on Jesus. This is why we say in the creed that Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. And the, the Father says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We, Peter says, I heard it. I heard the Father say that. I saw the Lord Jesus' glory. I was standing there on the mountain, and he is coming again. Are you ready to meet him? Peter would say. He is coming again. Are you ready to meet him? And finally, so Peter reminds the church, don't forget what God has done. Don't forget the life he's called you to. Don't forget that this is true because I'm an eyewitness of this testimony. But also don't forget this is true because this is what the scriptures teach. Verse 19, he says, we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed. That word uh, more fully confirmed, you could translate it as sure, reliable, trustworthy, something like that. It's the same word that is used in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, where it says, because God never changes and because God never lies, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Peter's saying these Old, prophet, uh, Old Testament prophets and the whole Old Testament itself speaks of the coming of the day of the Lord, that there's a day when God will put all things right and make all things new. That the Old Testament speaks of the one who will be the son and the servant, who will accomplish God's purposes in the world. And so the transfiguration, this eyewitness of the transfiguration confirms that the scriptures are true, confirms what the Old Testament said about God, about God's purposes, about God's people, and those precious and very great promises. John Calvin put it this way in his commentary on Second Peter. He said, the authority of the word of God is the same as it ever was in the beginning. And it was given further confirmation by the advent of Christ. So in other words, you don't need to wring your hands about the fact that you weren't an eyewitness because an eyewitness is telling you that the scriptures, the Old Testament especially, but then later he's gonna say Paul's part of the scriptures. The scriptures are trustworthy, sure, reliable, confirmed. And how can this be? Well, because verses 20 and 21 because these books, these words, they don't come from human beings. They come from God. It's not from a human interpretation. You know, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they didn't go off into the wilderness and think, you know, I'm going to write a bestseller. And I'm going I'm to make it really weird and hard to understand, but also sometimes really easy to understand. And, and that's, how I'm, that's what I'm going to do. No, the Spirit of God comes upon these men to speak what God has them to speak and to write what God wants them to to write. Peter says it's not from a human interpretation, but these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word carried along can also be used, like it's used in the book of Acts, um, when the wind comes into the sails of a ship. It's, it's an analogy, sort of. Um, the, wind, the, the wind of the Spirit comes into his prophets, and they speak the very words of God. They speak from God, verse 21, carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe the Bible not because uh, we're backward or Luddites or uh, just don't, don't want to hear the science or anything like that. We believe it because these words come from God. They're God's words. And so Peter's saying, yeah, you, you, you weren't an eyewitness, but I was an eyewitness. And I'm telling you, listen to the Bible. Listen to the word. Listen to the scriptures. Because those, verse 19, he says, those will give you light. Until the day, the, the dawning of the, the morning star, until the, the morning star rises in your hearts, 
Until that day, the only light you need is the scriptures. The same light that's going to be revealed in the glory of Jesus, you can already glimpse it now in the New and Old Testaments. Pay attention. That's, that's a, the exhortation he actually gives. Pay attention. You know, remember and pay attention. <laughs> How many times do I say that to my children, right? Do you remember what I said? Are you paying attention to what you're doing? Remember and pay attention. The light, the world, the world is dark, but the word is light. So when false teaching comes, look to the Bible. When you want to know what's right, look to the Bible. When you want to know about God, look to the Bible. When you want to hear God, look to the Bible, for these are God's words. I remember one time I was, uh, when we first moved up here, we rented a home in Pace Island, and there's that one stretch down the main street in Pace Island where after dark, it's like there's no street lights right in that stretch, and there's a lot of bushes, so there's no lights coming from the houses. It is pitch black. Now, I'm a pretty big guy, and it's a gated neighborhood, right? Like, maybe a fox could attack me. I don't know. But like, it's very unlikely that something bad would happen to me in the dark in Pace Island, right? And yet, it felt so good to have that little flashlight on my phone and turn that thing on and be able to see what was ahead of me and not lose my, my step not, be, not, be, um, not have something or someone come upon me unawares. But that little bit of light was enough to guide me through the dark. We are all, brothers and sisters, walking in the dark, but we have the light of the word of God to guide us. As the psalmist says, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so remember God's precious and very great promises. They are true. The eyewitnesses tell you, and so does the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your scriptures. Not that they're always easy to understand, but Lord, we know that the more we read, the more we study, the more we meditate, there is always spiritual profit to be had. For these did not come from the interpretation of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we believe that all scripture is breathed out by you and profitable for teaching and reproof, correction, training, and righteousness and that it equips us to be fully complete for every good work. So Lord, help us to remember and to walk by the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand as we confess our faith using the Nicene Creed? <laughs>